Well, welcome again, Third Church family. Really grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, we've been in this sermon series that we're calling We Believe. It's a series on the Apostles' Creed. We've been working our way through this wonderful creed since the beginning of Lent. Uh, and today, as you can see by the change of the banners, uh, we move into the third section of the creed, which is the section on the Holy Spirit. Uh, really, everything that we work on from this point on in the creed is an outflow of the theology of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think it's really important, and it's really great that we have an opportunity to talk about this today, because I've noticed just over, over the years that Christians tend to have two different maybe mistakes or um, maybe uh, overemphasis on one thing or another when it comes to the Holy Spirit. First of all, you've got groups that are maybe more um, Pentecostal or more charismatic that have no problem at all talking about the Spirit. In fact, talk about the Holy Spirit freely and easily. And yet oftentimes what happens is there's such an emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit, especially the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit, like tongues and prophecy and other things, is that uh, almost a uh, levels or a, a spiritual caste system is created where some Christians are more special or more holy than others because of the gifts of the Spirit. We want to avoid that. I think it's clear that the New Testament says that that's something we should avoid. On the other hand, there are other groups or churches full of Christians who are so concerned about the abuses of the Spirit that they tend to de-emphasize this Spirit altogether such that the Spirit seems to disappear from the Christian life altogether. Uh, some of you have heard me tell this joke before. It's one of my favorite jokes about the man who was worshiping one morning in a Presbyterian church, uh, and he found himself uh, getting deeply moved, and he just said out loud, amen. And someone nearby said, shh. Uh, and then a few minutes later, he, he was again moved and he said, uh, praise the Lord. And again, more people around him said, shh. And finally, a few minutes later, he was just deeply moved in spirit. And he, and he raised his hands and he said, hallelujah. And at this point, an usher rushed up to him and said, sir, you must be quiet. And the man said, but I can't help it. I've got the spirit. And the usher said, well, you didn't get that here. <laughs> So there, there is some uh, sad truth to that when it comes to um, Presbyterians and those of the Reformed ilk. And that too is something that we want to avoid. We want to be, Jesus calls us to be, a spirit-filled church and spirit-filled Christians. Uh, the spirit is not for super special Christians. Uh, the spirit is not for enthusiastic Christians. Uh, the Spirit is for every Christian, every person who trusts in Jesus, a promise of the divine helper uh, and friend. And so it's great that we have this opportunity to unpack a little bit about who the Spirit is and what he does. And this is an introductory sermon, obviously, and I don't, it's, it's too bad. I mean, we've done whole series on the Spirit in the past, and you're welcome to go back and look at those at the website. But today we can really only cover the basics. And so I'm going to look at this passage, this wonderful passage from Jesus, and unpack a few things about what we can learn about the Spirit. So we're just going to look at three basic things today. First of all, who the Spirit is. Second, what the Spirit does. And finally, how we live in relation to the Spirit. So who, what, and how. So let's begin with the first point, who the Holy Spirit is, who the Holy Spirit is. Well, I already answered that question a bit by using the word who, uh, because you probably noticed, as Nan was reading, that Jesus refers to the Spirit with the personal pronoun 
he. He doesn't refer to the Spirit as an it or a thing, but he says, as he says in verse 17, the world cannot accept him. And the, the, the New Testament especially speaks of the Spirit in very personal terms. In Ephesians 4, it says the Spirit can be grieved. Hebrews 10, the Spirit can be insulted. Uh, Romans 8, Romans 15, the Spirit groans, the Spirit loves. Uh, the Spirit feels the feels, guys. The Spirit, the spirit uh, an impersonal force cannot have feelings like that. The Spirit is a person. And the Spirit is not just any person. The Spirit is a divine person. Jesus says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. So this is interesting. We'll, we'll talk about what that word advocate means later, but, but note that Jesus says another one. He says, I am your advocate in heaven and yet I will give you another one. The Father and I will give you another one who is just like us and yet different from us. So Christians affirm that the Spirit is a person who is just as fully God as Jesus and the Son, and yet is different from them as well. And now here you see we're getting into the, the pretty deep waters of Trinitarian theology here. And I just want to say this real briefly, um, especially for those of you who might be exploring the faith or new to the faith, um, that this is what Christians affirm about God. We don't believe in three different gods, three different divine beings. That would be polytheism or tritheism, um, nor do we believe in one God that just shows up in three different ways or has three different masks for different tasks, sometimes Father, sometimes Son, sometimes Spirit. No, what Christians affirm uh, is that God has always been and always will be one eternal God existing forever as Father, Son, and Spirit. One in three, three in one. How does this work? How is this possible? I do not know. <laughs> but I will tell you this, that every time Christians have tried to explain this, uh, they usually end up messing it up and reducing the mystery. And so I think what we're called to do, I mean, honestly, if you could understand the mystery of God, then he would not actually be God. He would just be a projection of the human mind. And so there's a way we have to just accept and live with the beautiful mystery of one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So all this to say, to sum up my first point here, is that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about some other God or some lesser God. We're not talking about a good energy or a force or an it or a fuzzy feeling. We're talking about a person, a person who has always been a part of the Godhead, a person who was there who hovered over the waters in Genesis 1, a person who breathed life into the dead bones in Ezekiel, a person who came over the Virgin Mary to help her conceive, a person who was given to the, to the church at Pentecost to speak in the many languages. A person who was given to you now as you are there worshiping in your home. The Spirit is a living, divine person that you can know and that you can relate to. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Second, though, let's, let's ask this. What does the Spirit do? Well, goodness gracious, so many things, but this is just a summary sermon, so let's just touch on a few things that Jesus mentions in this passage, okay? I'm just going to work through it in three basic headings. First of all, what we see is that the Spirit connects and empowers. The Spirit connects and empowers. Uh, you'll note that in this passage, um, Jesus makes a very strong uh, encouragement, as, as he does in this whole section, that he is going to leave. He is going to depart. He keeps saying that in this section in John, is that I'm leaving. 
And yet he says, the fact that I'm leaving and I'm going away, I'm gonna rise from the dead and ascend to the Father is actually good news for you guys. It's great news for you. Now put yourself in the, in the disciples' shoes. I mean, they must have been so confused about this. They had just spent three years with Jesus. They loved him, they worshiped him. He was their rabbi, their teacher, their friend. Uh, they had come to believe he was the son of God. And yet Jesus is telling them he's going to leave them. How could this possibly be good news for them? Because, here's why, verse 16, Jesus says, because I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So that's why this is good news. Think about it. Jesus was a limited human being. He was fully God, yet fully human. So he was limited with all the human limitations that you and I have, limited to space and time. He could only spend time with a few handful of men and women at a time. Maybe he at most interacted with a couple thousand people, mostly Jewish in one little part of the Middle East. And, and, and you know, sometimes I have thought, gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could have Jesus' physical presence with me right now so that I could talk to him and get his advice and direction and, and, and comfort. But see, Jesus says to us, no, don't you see how much better this is that I've given you the spirit? Do you know how complicated it would be if Jesus never ascended and was still trying to make himself available to all the Christians walking around on the earth today? I mean, I, I did just a little calculation. There's 2.18 billion Christians on the planet right now. And so if Every Christian got to spend one time, one moment, one minute alone with Jesus. You could hang out with Jesus for one minute at a time once every 1.5 million days. Uh, and that's assuming that Jesus never sleeps, never eats, never goes to the bathroom, which we know he has to do because he's fully human, right? <laughs> and so that would be terrible. But now through the spirit, Jesus can be with every person, can span history, cultures, socioeconomic strata, not just one minute at a time, but all the time, he says in verse 20, I am in my Father and you are in me and I, through the Spirit, am in you. He says, my Father will take up residence, will make our home with you, verse 23. By receiving the Spirit, we have the very presence of Jesus, the one who lived and did miracles and died and rose again. We have the very presence of Jesus living in each of us. Have you ever really taken that in? I mean, I really think that's one of the most amazing things you will ever hear in your whole life, to have the presence of the risen, ascended Jesus living in us. Why? Why does God give this amazing gift to us? Well, many reasons for comfort, for guidance, for companionship. But here's one that we often miss that's here in this text. Judas, the good Judas, uh, in verse 22, asked Jesus, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And it's kind of confusing what Jesus says, but one commentator I read said Jesus is basically saying, look, I am going to make myself known to the world, but it's in and through you. It's when I take up my residence in each of you. As a human being, Jesus could only be present to a small group of people at a time, but by filling all of his people with himself through his spirit, God can create millions and billions of little Christs Little people who, people who resemble Jesus embodying his life on the earth. That's God's biggest goal for you. Did you know that? Did you know that God's biggest goal for you is not just to like get you to heaven and out of hell, but his biggest goal for you is to make you like Christ 
so that people can see you and know Jesus in you? Did you know that? I love this uh, analogy that William Temple offers. My friend Evie Kling uh, referred this to me. William Temple says this, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the one Jesus lived and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But listen to this. If the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come live in me, then I could live a life like his. And this is what God has done. He's given us the spirit of Jesus. He's given us the DNA, the genius of Jesus living in each of us, his spirit, his power. And now Christ in, through Christ in us, we can do what we could not otherwise do. Now, does this mean that you can go around doing healings and miracles? Well, I don't know, maybe. But I tell you, the Spirit, I, we can see from the Bible, the Spirit is not so much interested in doing extraordinary things that will make you go viral on YouTube. He's more interested in the quiet work of making you more like Jesus. He's more interested in cultivating in you the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He's more interested in making you a, 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 a better father, a better son and daughter, a better husband and wife, a better employee or citizen or neighbor. That's what God is up to in you, producing the fruit, the likeness of Jesus in you as you cooperate with the Spirit. I really want you to hear this. You know, kids, uh, students, young adults, I really want you to understand this because sometimes you can get tricked. Sometimes you can get tricked by adults who make you think that being a Christian is about trying to live a good life and being good. And I want you to understand that's not what it means to be a Christian. That's called moralism. That's called religion. That's like you just taking an old beat down house and trying to paint it up nice and make it look good on the outside. That's exterior alteration with no internal change. That's not what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means it's much more like someone buying the house and sending in a one-person renovation force to gut it and completely change it and renew it from the inside out. That's what it means to be a Christian, that Christ has bought you with his life, given you his spirit, and now is doing the work of renewal and renovation to make you like him. And the blueprint that the spirit is using is the very person of Jesus. As it says in Romans 8, conform to the likeness of his son. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not to try hard, not do your best, but it's an invitation to trust in Jesus so that he give you his spirit and he can begin to make you new. Have you asked that? Have you asked God for that? Kids, have you asked God to do that? Have you asked Jesus to send you his spirit to make you new? Adults, have you, have you done that? So, so that's the first thing, connects and empowers. Second thing that we see the spirit does is that he teaches and reminds. You see it says in verse 26, that Jesus says, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He also calls the spirit in verse 17, the spirit of truth. What does that mean? It means that the spirit is not just into feelings, the spirit is into truth, illumining uh, our minds to understand the truth of God, the gospel, and God's word. You know, I, I thought it was neat when, when Nan came up to read the scripture, 
Kids, did you notice this? And I want you to notice this maybe from all Sundays going forward is that before Nan read the scripture and before anyone reads the scripture, somebody prays. And um, the old name for that prayer is the prayer of illumination. Uh, it's, we're asking the Holy Spirit, and Nan actually prayed this. I wrote it down. She said, Holy Spirit, illumine this word that you inspired so long ago. Nan was asking the Holy Spirit to come and take the word of God that the Spirit inspired through human authors many years ago and actually illumine it so that we could understand it today. I love that word illumine. You know, we all carry these flashlights now around in our pockets um, on our phones, and maybe kids, sometimes if you're trying to read something and you can't see, you ask for your mom or dad's phone, or you take out your own phone and you turn on the flashlight so that you can see it. And what does it do? It illumines what is dark. And this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit takes the words of Scripture that the Spirit inspired and illumines them so that we can understand them and see them. I have a friend who grew up in church, but actually trusted in Jesus much later in his life when he was in college is when he really believed in Jesus and the Spirit came into his life to make him new. And he went back home to his home church and he, he, he was hearing them talk about Jesus and about the gospel and about grace. And he said, uh, he said, well, why weren't they talking about Jesus and his grace all those years that I was growing up in church? And of course, they were. He just couldn't see it. He couldn't hear it. The Spirit was not illumining the word for him. And that's what the Spirit does. And let me also be clear, the Spirit's job is not just to illumine the Bible, but ultimately what the Spirit wants to do is illumine the person to whom the Bible points. And who is that? Jesus himself, as Jesus said. Remind you of everything I have said to you. In verse 19, he said, you will see me. I love J.I. Packer calls the Spirit the divine floodlight. Have you ever seen a, a floodlight that's sort of flooding something? And it, the, the point is not to look at the light. The point is to, the, to look at the thing that the light is illuminating. And what the Spirit loves to do is illumine Jesus. The Spirit loves to shine light upon Jesus so that you don't just understand who he is, but that you see his glory and you feel it and taste it inside of you. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 4. I pray that your eyes of your heart through the Spirit would be open, that you would know the length and height and width and depth of the love of Christ. The Spirit illumines Jesus so that you don't just understand, but that you taste and experience his glory. Just like knowing that a donut is tasty is different than tasting it in your mouth. Or knowing that honey is sweet is different than tasting it on your tongue. The Spirit helps us not just to know that Jesus is our Savior, but to experience his love and his goodness within our souls. So the Spirit teaches and reminds. And one last thing we see that Jesus says is that the Spirit comforts and protects. Jesus uses a very interesting word here for the Spirit in both 16 and 26. He calls the Spirit the paraclete. You can see the NIV translates it advocate. The ESV translates it helper. King James translates it comforter. You can see it's a very difficult word to translate. Literally, the word means the one who comes alongside. Para means alongside. Cleat means call. So it's the one who is called alongside. That's just so beautiful. Jesus knows these guys, these, his friends, are about to go through the most difficult stuff. They're about to be thrust into the most challenging circumstances. They're about to undergo persecution and difficulty and imprisonment. Most of them will be killed and martyred. And he says, look, I'm leaving, but I am giving you 
the paraclete, the one who will come alongside you in your pain, your sorrow, your confusion and suffering, and who will be with you always so that you never have to be alone and you never have to be afraid. Jesus is giving you that paraclete right now, right now. There's a couple things this, this spirit does, this alongsiding work. One thing he does is he groans with us. It says in Romans 8 uh, that the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is almost too mysterious to describe. But Paul is saying the spirit, when we are groaning, maybe we're confused or sad or sorrowful or depressed or discouraged like many of us are right now. And he says the spirit groans with us. He actually comes alongside and feels your pain and begins to groan with you. But then he does more. He takes your groans to the Father and intercedes for you on your behalf. Have you ever been talking to someone and trying to express yourself, but you are having a hard time, and then maybe your best friend or, or spouse or someone overhears and says, I think what she means is this, and she says what you're feeling or thinking in such a clear way, even better than you could have said it yourself. This is what the Spirit does as we are groaning. The Spirit feels your pain, and then he takes that pain to the Father, and he says, what she means is this and she and, and the spirit is able to articulate the prayers with such glory and beauty because not only does the spirit feel your pain but the spirit knows the father's will for your life and is able to pray according to God's perfect will on your behalf what freedom in prayer i mean you don't even have to have words to pray you can just groan and the spirit takes your groans and brings them to the father but there's another dimension to this too it says the word paraclete was actually a legal term that literally meant a spokesperson who was called alongside a defendant in the court of law, speaking up on someone's behalf. Imagine yourself in a court of law, standing before a judge, feeling guilty and condemned, and suddenly you've got this amazing lawyer at your side defending you, acquitting you, uh, defending you against all accusations. That's what the Spirit does. This, when we feel attacked, especially internally by evil and the lies of Satan. The Spirit is the one who comes alongside us and protects us against evil and reminds us of who we are and reminds us of what's true. I love that Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And how often, brothers and sisters, do we believe that we are orphans, that we are alone, that it's up to us, that we have no one to help us, we have to figure it out on our own, that we're by ourselves. The Spirit comes along beside us and says, no, you are not. He protects us from lies of the evil one. He says, you are a child of the Father. You belong to the King. You are kept forever. You are not alone. The author, Russell Moore, describes in one of his books how he and his wife visited a Russian orphanage to adopt two boys as their sons. And he said the most terrible thing about this orphanage was the complete and total silence of the orphanage. Can you imagine an, an entire home filled with babies and toddlers with not a single cry? Because children learn not to cry when there is no one to come. Children learn to be silent when there's no one to care for them. And so they were in this orphanage and, and they met their two future sons and they spent a week with them and they played with them and they loved them and they hugged them. 
But every night they would leave to go back to their hotel and that same eerie silence would be there. Well, the, the, day, the last day came, the day when they meant to return to the U.S. to complete the legal formalities of adoption. But as they left the boys' room for the last time, Russell Moore said he felt compelled to, to go back into the room. And so he went back into the room and he looked at the two boys and he actually said to them the words of Jesus from this text. He said, we will not leave you as orphans. We will come for you. And then as they walked away down that hallway for the last time, they suddenly heard a cry. They heard one of their boys, the one-year-old boy, cry out in desperation. Just this wordless cry of desperation and fear and longing and anger. And Russell Moore says in the book, it was the most terrible and beautiful thing that he had ever heard because at that moment he knew that that child was crying for his parents, that in that cry an orphan had become a son. And this is what the Spirit does. Well, we feel abandoned, we feel alone afraid, like we're orphans. We dare to cry out because there's someone to hear and the Spirit testifies with our spirits that we are children of God, Romans 8. And the Spirit comes alongside us in our groans, reminding us, you are not alone, you are not abandoned. You are God's child, you are beloved, you are well taken care of. And though you do not experience it often and fully now, one day the Father will come for you. And you will see him face to face and you will be at home forever. The spirit testifies to our spirit, takes our groans, protects us from evil and comforts us in our sorrows. He groans for us. So this is what the spirit does. Connects us with Jesus, empowers us, teaches us and reminds us and comforts and protects us in our sorrow. So one last thing as I close here. How, how can we live in relation to the Spirit? Well, first of all, I just think you need to recognize that you have the Spirit. If you're a Christian, if you have trusted in Jesus, you have the Spirit. You might be discouraged because you've never spoken in tongues or you've never prophesied or you've never healed anyone. Hey, that's a spiritual gift. It's probably one that you don't have. But listen, if, if it were not for the Spirit of God, you would be living in outright defiance against God. Uh, even your desire to know God, even the fact that you're watching this right now, tuned into church and not watching, I don't know, like, old Dallas reruns or something. <laughs> the fact that you're tuned in right now and not asleep is a sign of this, the Spirit of God. The fact that, that you are, anytime you willingly sacrifice, that's the Spirit of God. Anytime you have affection for a Christian brother or sister, that's the Spirit of God. Any desire to resist sin, that's the Spirit of God. Even when you want to be more patient and loving, when you feel like you are not, that's the Spirit of God. Recognize that you have the Spirit and then begin to cultivate a relationship with him. When you open the Bible, say, help me, Spirit. Illumine your word. Shine your light on it. Uh, in moments of temptation, say, help me, Spirit, with the power of Jesus living in me. Give me power to resist the temptation and to live the way of Jesus. In difficult moments or challenges, ask the Spirit, ask the helper for help. Do you know what I do? For, I've, done, I've, I've cultivated this habit over 15 years that every time I come up to preach, on my way to walk from the chair to the pulpit, I just pray this prayer over and over again. Help, Spirit. Help. Help, Spirit. Help, Holy Spirit. Help, Holy Spirit. That is an easy prayer that you can pray. Any, you're parenting your kid. Help, Holy Spirit. You're about to write a difficult email or have a hard conversation. Help, Holy Spirit. You're, you're struggling with a job and dealing with overwhelming anxiety. Help, Holy Spirit. 
You don't know what to do about a challenging situation. Help, Holy Spirit. The Spirit is your helper. Moments of sorrow, groan, just groan, knowing that the Spirit will take your words and intercede to the Father on your behalf. Learn to cultivate a relationship with the Spirit. So friends, what I want to do now as we close is I just want to invite the Spirit to invite you to begin that relationship with the Spirit even now. Maybe you've never, uh, maybe you've prayed to God, you've prayed to the Father or even Jesus, but you've never actually prayed to the Spirit who is a member of the Trinity and who loves you. So I just want to invite you in this time of quiet, uh, as, some, as Susan uh, plays quietly on the piano for us, I just want to invite you to pray and ask for the Spirit what you are feeling led to ask. Maybe it's inviting new life. Maybe you're realizing you're not a Christian, but you're just religious, and you want this Jesus to give you his Spirit to renew you and make you new. Uh, maybe there's something really difficult in your life right now, and you've realized that you are trying to do it on your own. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Or maybe you're feeling very peaceful and you just want to thank God that you are not alone, that you have the divine companion, the helper, the friend with you now. So let's just spend a moment, uh, invite you now in your own homes, talk to the Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you love us and that you bring the very person and presence of Jesus to indwell in each of us. We pray that you would do that work of renewal and rehabilitation in each of us as we surrender to you and cooperate with your work in our lives. We pray that this week that we would live in relationship to you, Holy Spirit, and that we would constantly be crying out to you for help, groaning to you, asking you for uh, protection from evil and asking you to illumine Jesus that we might see him more. Help us, we pray, Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.